Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Lord, I ask uh, that you'd be in our midst, and that you'd bless us, and that you'd open our eyes, and open our ears to hear what you'd have to say to us today. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus. So this is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we come to the Annunciation, um, the angel coming to Mary. We come to this moment um, in history, this moment in the faith that is filled with uh, great mystery and awe. And if you've been around St. Bart's for a while, if you haven't, one of our values is mystery. And what does it mean to value mystery? Part of what it means is that we recognize that there are things that we cannot fully comprehend or fully understand And those are the very things that give us life. They're things that reward our meditation, that reward our attention. And the deeper that we go into them, uh, we enjoy them, we swim within them, but we never get to the depths of them. That's what it means to value mystery. The great mysteries of our faith are the mystery of the Trinity of three and one, and the mystery of the incarnation. And that mystery has a very human face and a human family in Mary and Joseph. And that's what I want to hold before us today is those two dimensions of the Annunciation and the Incarnation. That on one hand, this is God fulfilling his promises and bringing to a crescendo things that he has said from the beginning that he would do. And that the way that he does it is so unexpected that the way that God fulfills his promises is by coming himself as a helpless child, as Dave said earlier. And yet these were real people. Joseph and Mary were real people descended from other real people going back generations and generations and generations. And Mary said yes. She said yes to what the angel said to her. And we sit here because she did. So those are the two things that I want to hold before us today. And I want to talk about music. I want to talk about poetry. I want to talk about painting because one of the best ways that we have of of meditating upon mystery is creativity and the arts because the arts help us approach those things that are mysterious, those things that that move us, that shape us, that we cannot fully comprehend, that in a certain way apprehend us, that take our attention. And I want you to think about um, in a movie or in a symphony, often early on you'll hear a little bit of a melody, a little bit of a musical line. And then throughout the movie, that musical line will be played again and again and again. And every time it's played, it harkens back to the first time it was played, and it also points 
forward. And within music itself, the little that I know about musical theory, is that certain notes and certain chords cry out for completion. So, especially what are called seventh chords, they have a note in them that makes you want to hear the next note. There's longing built within the music. And part of what God does through history of salvation is he plays these melodies over and over and over again and brings them to a crescendo. And one of these melodies, one of these themes is first played in the garden after the fall and God comes to Adam and Eve and he narrates to them the consequences of their choice. The ground will be cursed, child, uh, childbirth will be very painful, but in the midst of that dark and brooding minor key kind of affair, there is hidden a moment, a kernel of hope, a kind of promise. God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head, and he shall bruise his heel. Theologians call that verse the first gospel. Why? Because it's the promise that the seed of the woman will be the one who crushes the head of the serpent. The serpent who brought the temptation to which Eve said, yes, God says, I will bring someone through your line, your seed, who will crush the head of that serpent. That's a promise. And that theme, that melodic idea gets played again and again and again and again throughout the scriptures. We see it in the story of Abraham and Sarah. God comes to Abraham and says, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to make you a great nation. You're going to have offspring that outnumber the stars. Little problem. We're very old and my wife is barren. Hasn't worked so far. How is this going to work? And God performs a miracle that a barren woman, Sarah, brings forth Isaac. And when that happens, that miraculous birth, it harkens back to this promise that God is going to bring a descendant who will crush the head of the serpent. And we see it over and over and over again. We see it with Hannah giving birth to Samuel. We see it in the birth of Samson. We see this theme again and again and again. And it brings us to the readings we have today. This idea that the seed of the women will bring forth salvation for their people like Samson is raised up as a judge and he delivers a kind of salvation to his people. But it's not the full salvation. It's just a picture of what God is going to do fully and finally later. So that's one musical theme that's going on. And then there's another one, if you go back and read um, the part of Matthew that most people skip, the genealogy. <laughs> we didn't read it this morning. It's the opening verses of the Gospel of Matthew. But I'm not going to read it to you, but I want you to think about this, because look at my Bible here. There's a blank page, and then we got Matthew. Page is turned. There's a moment of transition coming. You've got Malachi over here, a few blank pages, and then God is about to do something new, and what do we get but a genealogy? Why? Because every one of those descendants, every one of those sons, every one of those women is God keeping his promise that there is coming a seed that will crush the head of the serpent. And within that story, we have these 
with this genealogy, there's a story, this thread of redemption. We have Abraham and the birth of Isaac, that miraculous birth. But we also have these unexpected women who are integrated into the line of Jesus, like Tamar, like Rahab, like Boaz, like Bathsheba. These unexpected stories of redemption that are woven into the very genealogy of Jesus. So we have this promise that God is going to bring about the serpent crusher. And we see it again, the promise of a child being this gathering point for God's covenant keeping in our reading from Isaiah. That Isaiah tells King Ahaz about the sign of Emmanuel, which is a prophetic promise that points forward to the great crescendo of this theme, is that it's not just that a seed will be with us, that will crush the head of the serpent, it is Emmanuel, God with us. And Ahaz is not really in a mindset to understand any of that. He wouldn't even ask God for a sign. Isaiah says, ask God for a sign. It can be as deep as Sheol, it can be as high as heaven. Meaning spanning the full width of creation. You can ask anything and Ahaz won't do it. But then Isaiah says, I'll give you a sign anyway. The great sign that there is one called God with us who will come and be the great crescendo of this theme. Brad, can you pull up that painting? So we've talked about music. Here's a painting. This is a painting of the Annunciation. You see the column of light on the left, that's meant to be Gabriel. And then you see Mary on her bed. Hearing the words of the angel, she's obviously somewhat overwhelmed and timid. And I love this painting because of how detailed it is and how human it is. Um, I've shown it to a few people and no less than three people have commented on the rug, including Dave. <laughs> Look at the rug. It's got a rumple in it. How human is that? I can show you rugs in my house that have little lumps in them. Um, this is painted by Henry Asau Tanner um, in 1898. He was the son of an African Methodist Episcopal church minister. And he went on a trip to Egypt and Palestine and did studies of peasants in those contexts. And he painted this painting out of that trip. So the texture... And the detail and the humanity of it is grounded in his own uh, travels. And I love that human part of it because I think it holds before us these two things that are happening at once. There's this great mystery that God is going to fulfill his promise and the way that he's going to do it is he's going to come as himself. He's going to take on flesh. But there's a real human involved. There's Mary. And she's got some questions as any of us would. How can this be, Gabriel, what you're saying, that the Holy Spirit will come upon me, that I will conceive a child? I've never known a man. How can this be? And yet, she is able, even with her questions, to say yes. And I think seeing this painting helps us and helps me get a sense of the weight of Mary's yes. That it's not just a thing that happened in a novel so that all the themes could be nicely pulled together. It's what God was doing in history and his intention when he made that promise back in the garden that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that the way that God does this is that he brings about another Eve. 
What do I mean by that? Well, the churches understood Mary to be a new Eve. Why? Because Eve, when she was given a chance between yes and no, said no to God. She chose to eat the fruit of the tree, and in choosing to eat the fruit of the tree, says no to God. But as the new Eve, Mary says yes. In the Gospel of Luke, the way she says it is, let it be to me according to your word. That's Mary's yes. There's a long Christmas poem by the great 20th century poet W.H. Auden called For the Time Being. And there's a section called Gabriel when he talks about Eve and the new Eve. And this is what he writes. When Eve, in love with her own will, denied the will of love and fell, she turned the flesh love knew so well to knowledge of her love until both love and knowledge were of sin. What her negation wounded may your affirmation heal today. Love's will requires your own that in the flesh whose love you do not know, love's knowledge into flesh may grow. There's a lot there. You should look it up. It's worth pondering. But the great phrase that I want to bring to your attention is what her negation wounded, may your affirmation heal today. What Eve's no has wrought on the world, what Adam's no to God has wrought on the world, the fall, some people call it the devastation. I like that. It sounds like a good... Uh, Swedish death metal album or band, The Devastation. What her negation wounded may your affirmation heal today. The first Eve's no turns into the second Eve's yes. And that's Mary's story. And we see her there as a frightened Palestinian teenager trembling before the very mystery of God and yet she is willing to say yes. And in her saying yes, the word is able to become flesh, which we pick up in the Gospel of Matthew, where we get Joseph and his chance to say yes, his chance to obey in the face of a difficult circumstance. Because to his mind, what appears to him is that he's been cheated on. And he's trying to do the best thing that he can do in the difficult circumstance, and in the midst of that difficult circumstance, an angel comes to him and explains what's going on. And Joseph has a chance, too, to say yes or no, and he says yes. Taking on all the difficulty, all the social stigma, everything that would be loaded into that moment, he says yes. And in his saying yes, the angel tells him two things, gives the child two names. The first is Emmanuel, in fulfillment of the promise from Isaiah. God with us. This is the overwhelming mystery of the Annunciation, is that God himself comes. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The full divinity and the full humanity of Jesus is the mystery of the incarnation. And this child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. It brings the theme of miraculous children to a crescendo because it's not just the miracle of a barren woman giving birth, but the miracle of a virgin giving birth, conceived by God, the Son of God. The child is divine, and so the child is God with us. 
So it's not just a name or a platitude, but it's the very reality that we confess when we confess that we believe in the incarnation. The way that the creed puts it is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. That his human flesh was from Mary. That Jesus' humanity is from Mary because she said yes. Fully God, fully human. The great mystery of our faith. That's what it is that his name is Emmanuel. But what about his other name? Jesus. Jesus from Joshua means God saves. God who saves, why? Because this is the one, the angel tells Joseph, who will deliver us from our sins. That's what we've been singing about these last four Sundays of Advent as the light has grown and as we anticipate Christmas. Fleming Rutledge um, has a book of sermons on Advent, and she says that Advent is a time to take an unflinching survey of darkness. Why? Because we do that in the hope of the growing light. And part of taking an unflinching survey of darkness means that we acknowledge that the world is not as it should be, but we also acknowledge that, that we are not the way that we should be. That there's brokenness inside and there's brokenness outside. It's not either or, it's both and. And when those things get together, more devastation. The head of the serpent needs to be crushed. As our collect put it today, we are sorely hindered by our sins. And when we think about Eve's no and we think about Mary's yes, we are actually confronted with the paradox of acknowledging the reality of sin, which we must do. On the one hand, when we acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge our powerlessness to save ourselves. We are sorely hindered. I can't do it. I can't crush the head of the serpent. I need someone to do that for me. Which is a very uncomfortable thought. We don't really like it. And yet, there's something about getting on our knees, sitting down, bowing our heads, and saying, actually, there are devices and desires in my own heart that are not the way that they should be. And I have not fulfilled the law of God. I have not loved him. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. So on one hand, when we acknowledge sin, we're acknowledging our powerlessness. But on the other hand, when we acknowledge the reality of sin, we also acknowledge that our choices have moral weight and consequences. And that is, not, that is seen in its biggest form on this canvas, that a yes can change everything. A yes to God can change everything or a no to God can change everything. That we are responsible for our choices. And it makes redemption all the sweeter <laughs> because we know that our choices can wreak havoc in our relationships, in our lives, in our careers, in, our, in the way that we relate to ourselves and others. When we say no or when we say yes, when we choose our own way, when we choose the path of Adam and Eve, or when we choose the way of Joseph and Mary. What her negation wounded, may your affirmation heal today. We are brought back to her yes. Eve had the power to say yes or no to God. Her no brought about devastation. Mary, the new Eve, had the power to say yes or no to God. Her yes brought about redemption. So when we acknowledge sin, we acknowledge that we are moral beings and moral creatures and that our choices have consequences. And in a, in a kind of reverse negative image way, that actually affirms the image of God in us because our choices actually matter. 
what we do or don't do, what we say yes to, what we say no to. So we need God with us. We need someone to come to deliver us from our sins. Who is Emmanuel? He's God with us. He is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, he's Emmanuel. He's God with us. You got to take the names together. Who is the one that saves us? Emmanuel. Who is this God with us? He's Jesus. He's the one who delivers us from our, sin, our sins. Tonight, we'll have our Lessons and Carols uh, service. And in that service, we'll have multiple readings from the history of the scriptures and God's redemptive story. And we'll hear these melodic lines played again and again. And then after each reading, we'll have the opportunity to sing in response and worship. I hope you can make it. It's going to be great. Uh, Bill's been doing a great job. The musicians are ready. It's going to be a great night. I'm going to point forward to one hymn that we'll sing tonight. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Charles Wesley's great hymn brings the two names together, Jesus and Emmanuel. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Who is God with us? Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's God with us. He's the one who's actually able to fulfill the promise. He's the one who can actually crush the head of the serpent. Why did Jesus come to the world? Well, he came to deliver us from our sins, but part of delivering us from our sins means he has to deal with those things that harm us, that enslave us, that have power over us, and that includes the work of the devil. And the New Testament is very clear about that too, that that is a huge dimension of what it means for him to save us, is that he has to crush the head of the serpent. Now we've talked about sin, we've talked about Satan, we've talked about all the kinds of stuff. So maybe it really is like a Swedish death metal album. <laughs> and it's easy to get caught up in the symbolism, but when we come back to this, to a humble girl who said yes, then it becomes very real to us in the sense of, will I say yes or will I say no? Not just in the sense of my own salvation, like my relationship to God, of course that's vastly important, but day by day, am I saying yes or am I saying no? Am I turning towards or am I turning away? Because God's word has come into the world. He has crushed the serpent's head. We're waiting for the full and final victory and fruit of that which is another mystery of our faith. <laughs> he defeated him on the cross, and yet here we are, waiting. Oh, that's why we have Advent, because we're waiting, 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 waiting. Saying, come Lord Jesus, bring about the fullness of that defeat. But that's the opportunity for us, I think, in the Annunciation, is to recognize that our choices matter, our yeses matter, and our noes matter. And that we have a daily choice and opportunity to say yes to God or no. Moment by moment choice. Am I going to say yes? Am I going to say no? And when I say no, do I trust that he is who he says he is and that he can make it right? That he can forgive me? Because that's the hope of the gospel. Is not that we're going to say yes all the time and get it perfect, but that even when we say no, God can redeem it. He can redeem it. He can take broken human families 
The record of dysfunction that is built into Jesus' genealogy is absolutely astounding. Jesus, if he were in group therapy, would say, I come from a dysfunctional family. Let me tell you about my great-great-great-great-grandfather, David. He was a piece of work. And Abraham, what did he do? On down the line. If God can redeem that family, he can redeem our family. He can redeem us. That's the promise of Christmas. Jesus, our Emmanuel, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for uh, poets and painters and hymn writers down the ages who have meditated on the mystery of the incarnation, the mystery of the Annunciation, to help us just get a glimpse of everything that was at stake in this moment when Gabriel came to Mary and she had the opportunity to say yes or say no. And Lord, as you come to us with your word, as you come to us with opportunities, as you come to us in our lives day by day, we pray for the power to say yes to you. But we also pray, Lord, for the humility to ask for forgiveness when we say no. And the recognition through community, through the conviction of your spirit, that there are times, Lord, when we fall short of your glory. But we thank you, Lord, that you forgive us, that you make us whole, and that you redeem us. Bless you, Lord, and it is in your holy name, Emmanuel Jesus, that we pray. Amen.